Hello, everyone. I'm Kevin Verga, and I'm joined, as always, with my co-host, Devin D'Agostino. Devin, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Kev. How are you, man? I'm doing good. I'm doing very good. good. In just a moment, me and Devin are going to stop making sense. And what that means is every episode, Devin and I are going to choose a new Talking Heads song to analyze and ponder, and let our minds wander and take us to uncharted realms of science and comedy and music. We'll answer such burning questions as, who took the money? Who took the money away? Why stay in college? Why go to night school? And most importantly, where is that large automobile? All this and more coming up on this episode of Devin and Kevin Stop Making Sense. Devin, this week we're going to do the song Memories Can't Wait off the album Fear of Music from 1979. Want to give us a nice uh, insight into what the song is like and what's it about? Yeah, I can't wait, much like the memories, to talk about this song because this nice. is definitely one of my favorite Talking Head songs. So, like you said, it's off Fear of Music, their third album, which was released in 1979, which has some classic Talking Head songs on it, like Cities and Life During Wartime. And it's often considered one of their best albums and also like one of the best albums ever made. And this is a cool album for Talking Heads. It's much different from the ones previously. So more songs about buildings and food. David Byrne sort of pitched it as a song about people in society. And, you know, much like other Talking Heads songs, it's very lighthearted, fun, that innocence that we usually talk about. This album is much more mature. Even David Byrne said, he said, I want to place characters in a dystopian setting and see how they react. And that's clear. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a perfect way to maybe dive into the song Memories Can't Wait because, if anything, it's one of the darkest songs on that album. Yeah, the darkness is quite present, not only on this song, but there's a total in-your-faceness that I feel from this album. And it's much more present on this one than their first two. This one felt much more cohesive. And it seems like they were definitely in a mindset throughout the whole recording of this album. You know, there, there's classic Talking Heads aspects to it in the funkiness and the enigmatic lyrics, but there's still many surprises. Like this album opens up with Izimbra, which is literally like nonsense words. And then it also has hits, like you said, Left During Wartime, Heaven is on this album, Cities, Air. And there's 11 songs on the album. And right dead in the middle is the song we're going to be talking about, which is Memories Can't Wait. What I felt when I was like listening through this is that I couldn't listen to it over and over by itself. Like I felt like I needed to go start at Life During Wartime, go to Memories Can't Wait, then it's followed by Air and then followed by Heaven. It just felt so cohesive and one led to another. And the uniting factor of all these songs I felt was that they're just like in your face. You really have to engage with them where in the past two songs, you can really just sit back and relax and just shake your hips to uh uh-oh, love comes to town or just feel good and think about the good thing but memories can't wait is really in your face and you're not just gonna like sit there and be like oh this is a nice song i'm gonna play at a party this is a really complex ear catching song but in a way that isn't present in previous albums do you feel the same way yeah i mean everything about the album is dark like even the album cover is literally dark and it's like that metal pattern it is it's in your face i agree completely maybe just a little background on like my my experience with the song it was actually this previous summer I was going to see a Mets game with some friends, but like we, I took the subway to it, the seven train to a Mets game, like at the peak of the game. 
and we're all packed in there. It's mm-hmm. summer in New York City. So it's like 90 degrees outside. I'm sweating. You're stuck. You can't move. People are pushing you. And the song came on, right? And I don't know, something about that moment, just like it spoke to me. And the other thing about, I think, this whole album too, maybe it's the cover that's leading me to interpret it that way, but it's like almost industrial, you know? Yeah. It goes back to that in your face. It's like this tough, dense, it's hard to explain, but the songs are really just, especially this one, almost nefarious. There's like a meanness to them, which is yeah. cool and very unlike earlier Talking Head stuff, especially with the two songs we talked about. Yeah, this song opens with the lines, do you remember anyone here? He's just like, hey, what's up? Do you, do you know anyone here? He talks about parties in a little bit, and we'll get into it, but he really is, he's really challenging the listener right off the bat with this song. And what I felt, this album changed, I think, the Talking Heads trajectory, and this is 1979, and music is changing overall. Music is it's about to go into the 80s, which is one of the most controversial, but overall far-reaching decades in music. There's something for everyone. This year in albums really encapsulates that. Just a few off the top of my head. London Calling by The Clash, The Wall by Pink Floyd, Unknown Pleasures by Joy Division, Breakfast in America by Supertramp, Candy O by The Cars. And then there's also nicer songs that really foreshadow the 80s, which is like Off the Wall by Michael Jackson, and then there's also albums by Blondie, XTC, ELO, Prince, The Cure, The Police, Van Halen, and Led Zeppelin. Um, a lot of these musical groups are on the forefront in this change of music, and the Talking Heads are right there with them, releasing one of the most pivotal albums in their career and just leading the charge in this musical revolution that's going to happen starting this year and continuing throughout the 1980s. So it's just really exciting to be challenged by music and, and seeing all these musicians really saying, okay, the sixties and fifties made the rules for rock and roll and we're going to learn them all very well and then challenge every single one of them. And I feel like that's so present, not only on this album as a whole, but in this song specifically. So let's dive into the song. Sure. Uh, maybe give overall interpretations. Like what was your overall feeling about this song? What was your overall idea if you had to sum it up in a sentence? I felt personally antagonized by this song. It came (laughs) right after me. And like many Talking Head songs and and the two songs we've already discussed, there's parts of the song and the lyrics that are just so Kevin. (laughs) There's like moments where I'm like, oh man, you spoke something that I've felt and thought for a long time. Uh, For me, that comes in the chorus. uh, Mm -hmm. But starting in the verse, I, I already mentioned the first line. Do you remember anyone here? No, you don't remember anything at all. I'm sleeping, I'm flat on my back, never woke up, and had no regrets. What are your initial interpretations of that verse and the introduction to the song? Yeah. This is someone who's being tormented by their memories. You know, it's like even skipping all the way to the end of the song when he's repeating the same line over and over again, right? These memories can't wait, these memories can't wait, and he's almost begging and screaming at the ending. That first, very first verse is somebody maybe like at a party in some kind of social gathering and just feels completely out of place. But at the same time too, because I really focused on the internal aspects of the song, it could be someone who's like lost in their mind and doesn't even recognize what's going on. Yeah, I really like that juxtaposition of external social anxiety using mm-hmm. a party you don't feel quite comfortable at to help interpret being uncomfortable in your own head and feeling like it's very crowded. And I feel yeah. like the instrumentation of the song feels the same way. It's very claustrophobic in a way like there's no escaping it 
there's no additive property to it where you get the little drum track and then you get the bass and then david byrne comes in and he's like hey i'm singing the song like okay i had the time to settle into it this song is just like first second you're right into it and challenged by the music and the lyrics and i like what you said about the internal uh what do you mean by that do you want to go into that a little more yeah so i think this song is very internal if not the whole thing is internal right the whole thing's taking place in this person's brain whether they're at a party or not you could argue either way. Um, but sort of my interpretation of it and what I want to talk about with it was this idea of internal struggle, internal torment, right? Because I think overall what the song is about is someone stuck reviewing their memories over and over again and being tortured by it, being able to, not being able to escape it. And I mean, it ends with this person's basically an, insom- an insomniac, right? It's a nightmare. Everything is quiet. Everyone has gone to sleep. I'm wide awake on memories. These memories can't wait. Someone's struggling with their own thoughts, which is interesting too, because if when you think back on a conversation to the good thing, right, and our interpretation of it, we saw the mind as almost this place to hide away from the world and it was fun. You can imagine things. In this case, it's the opposite. And I want to talk a little further about that. But before we go back to the idea of memories and uh, insomnia and maybe obsession, do you have anything else you want to add? Yeah, I, I mentioned parties and like the yeah. social anxiety of the party. That comes in the chorus where he says, there's a party in my mind, and I hope it never stops. There's a party up there all the time, and they'll party till they drop. <laughs> this is the moment where I was like, David, you hit it right in the head. Because I feel <laughs> this all the time. Yeah. And it's funny that we do, we're doing a podcast right now, because oftentimes I am conversing with myself and hearing like many voices in my head. And don't get nervous. Like, I often feel like I'm almost having a podcast in my head and just like listening to multiple Kevins converse. There's and sometimes they're partying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they're conversing and, and oftentimes they're talking to me and sometimes I don't want to talk to them just like any other friend. And sometimes I engage with them and we have nice conversations. It's just a bunch of me's having, having fun. And I think that's, I don't know if that's a unique thing, like, because I've worked for it. I know everyone has, most people have inner monologues in their head, kind of hinting at what I really found interesting in this song and these lyrics. But that just struck me, that there's a party in my mind, followed by the line, I hope it never stops. There's a party up there all the time, which sounds exhausting, and they'll party till they drop. The, the use of the plural they, that there's multiple people up there in you know artistic minds and, and feeling that there's a lot going on up there and it can be overwhelming just like this song kind of hints at that's an interesting interpretation i'm a little scared a little uncomfortable <laughs> <laughs> not gonna lie um because i did i sort of interpreted it as someone at a party sitting in the corner like on a chair stuck in his head right not wanting to be there it's interesting that you said almost the party's inside of him it's interesting what you're saying i like that you brought into that idea of like the artist and creativity and having multiple voices and perspectives but i think the interesting thing about this song too is i feel like it's almost you know the guy is going insane he's really going Mm. crazy these voices definitely aren't productive these memories aren't productive and maybe i'll use that to segue into the next topic i want to talk about sure but before we go into that i think we had an ad yeah let's uh let's go into the ad break and listen to our sponsors and we'll come right back So Kevin, how many times has this happened to you? You're listening to your favorite podcast and right in the middle of it, an ad pops up. You try to skip it, but you never can get the timing just right and you end up spending more time to get around it than it would have actually taken to listen. Well, fret no more because with the new Ad Ender plugin, ads will automatically be recognized and skipped within the first 15 seconds. 
And we're back. All right. So going back into the... <laughs> yeah, so what I want to talk about with this song is the idea of nostalgia. Songs about memories, memories can't wait. And it immediately brought me to nostalgia, which again, I mean, it keeps coming up in every podcast, but we're in this moment. There's a pandemic. We're stuck indoors. A lot of us have been pulled away from our lives. And I think for a lot of us, a way to cope with it is to go back to these nostalgic moments. I mean, nostalgia now is something that we see positively, right? It's sentimental, it's a way to reflect, it's joyful, and a lot of research shows that it's good for us. It can be used to combat loneliness and depression. But the interesting thing about nostalgia was it wasn't really until the 20th century that it became associated with something positive. Hmm. In the beginning of it, when it was first conceived, it was like a negative thing. Nostalgia is almost seen as a debilitating disease, really. That's very interesting. That, so you said the 19th century is when it first became a positive thing? Yeah, like 19th, 20th century. The studies on its positive psychological effects are only within like the past two decades, but only in the 20th century did we start to see nostalgia as a good thing. Like the movie I read in my research, Casablanca, right? It's about, at some point they talk about nostalgia being good. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen it. I'll be honest, I've never seen it. <laughs> yeah, I, I figure the first thing that came to my mind when you said that, it wasn't until the 19th century. It was just like, oh, it just, <laughs> this is my little brain, my, my Kevin in my head saying this, like, oh, they just haven't lived long enough to have good nostalgic moments, just like humans <laughs> as a species weren't nostalgic yet. Because, like, what did you have nostalgic, what were you nostalgic about? Like, ah, oh, the good old days, like, I wish we can get back to when we were in caves and cave paintings. Remember that day we discovered fire? That was a good day for us. But when the 19th century happened, that's when the Industrial Revolution was going. And there was like a juxtaposition of, of two different worlds. Like you could be pining for this simpler time or you could be forging new conquests. And life is getting more and more complicated and you can be pining for the past or be haunted by it. Kind of like in this song. For nostalgia for me is a bittersweetness. There's a positive feeling, but it's not completely happy. There's also a sad tinge to it because it's just a memory now. Interesting that you brought nostalgia there because when I thought of nostalgia, I was almost thinking like more personal nostalgia, right? Like thinking back to your freshman year in high school or specific memories, but you did it almost as a nostalgia for a time period, which is interesting. goes back to like this idea in the song we're talking about, internal versus external, because again, I think almost memories can't wait. It's a very internal song, right? He's obsessing over his own past. Um, but more on the roots of nostalgia too, because nostalgia has been around for a long time. So nostalgia comes from the Greek word nostos which is like a desire to return home and it's really present in the odyssey right that's like odysseus's whole drive is that he's nostalgic mm. for his home he's going through he's fighting these monsters but he keeps wanting to return home that's his major drive but the interesting thing too is even though nostalgia we associate it with bittersweet positive the algia means pain it's a latin root for the word pain so it mm. really means the pain of the desire to return home so it was first like diagnosed in 1688 by a Swiss doctor named Johannes Hofer. Again, I apologize. I like how, I like how you say diagnosed. Name. Like, oh, this person's been diagnosed with nostalgia. Pay him no mind. Just have a few weeks bed rest and he'll be okay and back to normal. Well, that's exactly what it was. Here's actually a quote from what he said. He called it a neurological disease, excuse me, a neurological disease of essentially demonic cause. Wow. A couple different things there. Contrast it with how we look at nostalgia today. Bittersweet, right? Positive overall. And demonic. The idea, again, like I said, with fear of music, it's almost nefarious. Memories can't wait. This guy, everybody's asleep. He's like stuck in his brain. He can't go to sleep. He's insomniac. There is something demonic about the song. Because when I think of nostalgia now, I think of the song Yellow by Coldplay. 
But back in the day when they first were discovering nostalgia or diagnosing it, it was some sort of demonic form that has possessed someone to, to no longer be in the now or looking forward to the future. They're stuck in the past. You know, now nostalgia is ever present. Think of Instagram. It's just a, a series of, of photos from your life. The Industrial Revolution was the really inciting moment of nostalgia to change because now we had concrete definitions or capturings of the past when before we had spoken word and word of mouth and we had stories but now we have film and video and pictures to really make the past grounded and visible because this is 1600s you're not taking photographs you can't you don't have anything really grounding to it grounding you to that memory so when it was first diagnosed it was in switch these swiss soldiers these people were suffering from things like melancholy, lack of appetite, sleeplessness, going back to the song, quote in the song is, I'm wide awake on memories, but also much more severe things too. I mean, these people, in some cases, were experiencing cardiac arrest, brain inflammation, and suicidal thoughts. So it was really detrimental for these people. And it was mainly something seen on the battlefield. But the way they treated it too, because they saw it as a disease, they saw it needed to be treated, was basically bullying, because <laughs> this was something that was happening on the battlefield, was happening to soldiers. It was basically seen as something that was a weakness and they would bully people. How dare you even do this? There's even one story of a Russian general who buried people alive because, you know, symbolically they were so trapped in the past that they were no use to him. It was crazy. And the other thing too is that they've lumped these disorders in with PTSD, depression, all wrapped up in nostalgia, giving it more of that negative interpretation of it. But it's Mm -hmm. just interesting to see how it was interpreted and how people treated it right because it was seen as disease but i want to go back to that idea of sleeplessness especially like the i'm wide awake on memories and maybe wrap in what you brought in what is it about this era that makes nostalgia more accessible and it's funny because last night i couldn't sleep it's like three in the morning right couldn't sleep and it, i thought it was because i was reviewing memories over and over in my head it also may have been i was watching anthony bourdain and he had an espresso after dinner and i'm like that looks so classy i'm gonna try to have an espresso after dinner That's probably what really kept me up. But I was, I was sitting in my bed, right? Trying to fall asleep in the dark, just looking at the ceiling and like thinking, going over and over again with these memories of like past things, some good, some bad, but really feeling like in the end of the song when he talks about what he says, everyone is very quiet. Everyone has gone to sleep. I'm wide awake on memories. These memories can't wait. My mind cycling through these memories, preventing me from going to sleep. You ever experience anything like that? Yeah, I think nostalgia appears when the mind is idle when you're busy and you're working towards something in the future you're less likely to feel nostalgic about something if you're excited about what the future holds but i find that these thoughts of that silly thing i did at the seventh grade dance that i'm so embarrassed about always seems to pop up when i'm taking a lunch break at work or right before i go to bed and i'm like oh why did i do that and i'm like why am i worried about that it's 3 a.m. go to bed that's the most you know that's the top priority right now but it's very fascinating because it's almost like working towards the future is the remedy for nostalgia if you just like keep your mind busy i think that's why a lot of people are almost afraid to be alone with their thoughts now this is why we fill up our time ever since this covid19 outbreak has started yeah. my screen time on my phone has has risen dramatically oh, yeah. and I think that's just because I have more idle time and I don't, I'm not one who's afraid to get lost in my thoughts. Like I said, I have multiple Kevins up there. We are having a party all the time, but 
It's just to like fill up time and mental space to almost avoid the void being alone with your own entertainment of your brain. And I feel like that's a lot of people are stuck doing that maybe for the first time or really having to be in that space where they have to be alone with their thoughts. And the question is, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Are you looking forward to the future? Are you nostalgic for the past before we were social distancing? There's a lot of questions that come from that. A fascinating thing, too, is a lot of these psychological studies say nostalgia is actually a great motivator. That people who, after review, re- reviewing some of their memories, are motivated to do more things. By reflecting on the past, they're able to move forward. But I think there's another component here, too, and I haven't read into it, and we'll have to look further to see. But I feel like there's different types of nostalgia. Because in these early diagnoses of nostalgia, it always, almost always has to do with soldiers, right? Soldiers who are forced to be away from their homes and they're reflecting on the past. It's sort of similar to now with coronavirus. Although we are home, we've been taken away from other homes, whether it be school or work, whatever. So maybe there's like different experiences of it. But then we have this third nostalgia too, going back to the song, in that this guy is at a party, everyone's having fun, right? And he can't get out of his own head. Everybody else can split. I'll be here all the time. I can never quit. He can't escape his own mind. He's stuck reflecting on these memories permanently almost you go back to nostalgia as something positive and then it doesn't turn out to be what you wanted it to be. Yeah, think? Two things that keep me up at night all the time are mm-hmm. kind of those two things. One is other people, they'll split. I'll be here all the time. No, I can never quit. My interpretation is that this is all happening in their head. It's in a dream in a way, going back to mm-hmm. that first verse. It says, do you remember anyone here? Do you remember anything at all? I'm sleeping. I'm lying flat on my back. I felt that Kind of like when a dream starts, you don't know how you get there. You don't remember anything. You just kind of accept the reality you're in. So I was just thinking kind of what we were talking about before of these thoughts arising right before you go to bed when you have an idle mind. Things that keep me up all night are some of these things he mentions, like that everyone else can go home and split, but I'll be here all the time. I'm going to be me forever. I will always be Kevin. I will always have my own way of thinking about things. And all I can do is kind of try my best to understand how other people are interpreting the world. And forever and ever, I will always be me. I was, for some reason, ordained to be in this body and mind. Mm-hmm. And that's all I will be forever. And these are things that kind of just, like, keep me up at night. And these existential thoughts that come into my brain and keep me up. Like, a few nights ago, I was thinking about... I was thinking about thinking. And I was like, if I'm thinking about thinking, yeah. how, how many cycles can I go? Can I add like a third level about this? And I'm just like going further and further and spiraling and spiraling. And then I have to like, then that's when my voice in my head pops up. And he <laughs> comes in almost like a friend. He's like, Kevin, hey, what's going on, man? It's, it's other Kevin. It's head Kevin. Oh, hey, sorry, I was getting a little out of there. Let's balance myself here. And then now we're having a conversation almost like a good friend would. And I can't Maybe you're my- the voice. Maybe you're the bad voice in head Kevin's head. He's like normal living his life. And then this Kevin comes along. He's like, you ever think about thinking? And head Kevin's like, listen, man, you just got to let me be. I'm just trying, to, yeah. just trying to function here. Yeah. Well, that's so interesting because it seems like there's two paths. There's my active thinking in my own internal voice where I can kind of calm myself down and talk to myself. Mm-hmm. Then there's also these disembodied voices that are thinking about thinking and thinking about myself forever and ever, which isn't, doesn't seem like it's in my voice that's speaking right now. And it's not in that head Kevin voice. It's in this, right. it's just kind of abstract words and, and images that are floating through my head that, that make me get lost in them. 
And then sometimes it takes two or more Kevins in my head to come and we just kind of like have a conversation and think about it. I, I don't know if that's a unique thing. Do you ever do that? Do you ever like talk to yourself in your head or out loud? I mean, I think definitely everyone has internal monologues. I'm not sure if I have multiple Devons popping around in there. Although I guess there are sometimes that, you know, you, you talk to almost like people that you've created. You talk to someone, maybe a friend or something in your mind when you're really just talking to yourself. I've definitely talked things out in my head. I don't know if I've had the experience of other Kevins or Devins in there, but I can see where you're coming from. You should try it because I, I, I practiced it recently. Okay. It helps me. Interesting. But it's really interesting that you say that you think everyone has inner monologues and inner dialogue because... I guess what it is, there's an inner monologue where you just kind of have your stream of thought, but then I, Mm -hmm. I'm practicing inner dialogue where I'm literally having conversations in my head. And that's really what I got hooked on in this song is the thought that there's a party in your head and help me understand the dialogues in my own brain. Shout out Rachel and the Her Life blogcast. She sent me an article about how not everyone has inner monologues and some people just don't have that. And they have more nonverbal thinking. So it seems like I'm on the opposite spectrum and that I have hyper inner monologue. I found this study on psychologicalscience.org and they classify as internal speech as the monologue you hear in your head. And they decide that it's, quote, robust, but not universal. That some people have this inner monologue and others just don't. And there's no right way or wrong way of having it. People just have different blends of it. I just found that fascinating to the point where I went to work the next day and I just kind of walked around and asked different people in the radio station if they had inner monologues. And some people that I expected would didn't. And others that I expected wouldn't had very strong inner monologues. One of my coworkers said, it's like a podcast up there, just having <laughs> a conversation. So he's like the only person I've asked that has inner dialogue. What, what do you have? Do you have dialogues? Do you have monologues? Is it more nonverbal? It's tough. It's almost like, because I do it so unconsciously, I think. I've never stopped to explicitly think about it. Maybe that's what I'll have to do next time. Um, I think it depends on the situation, really. Like, I, I can just let my mind wander. Yeah, because there's, there's kind of two sides of it in that there was visual thinking and verbal thinking. And that seems to be, it seems to be binary. It's either monologue or no monologue, verbal or visual. But really, what all these studies I looked into is that everyone is just a conglomerate of different levels of these different ways of thinking. And everyone is walking around with different ways of thinking, different things going on in their head. But somehow, we all make it work. And that's kind of like a little beautiful thing that I found in this research is that I have a podcast in my head. Other people are just thinking completely verbal or nonverbal, thinking completely nonverbal and thinking in images and just kind of... I can't, I can't imagine what it's like to not have an inner monologue, but it's fascinating because some of the most creative people I've asked don't. And then some people that are very creative as well also do. It's just hard for me to grasp. <laughs> it's listen, it's something I think that's been, it's philosophically a challenging question. Leads to the beginning of like solipistic thinking where you think that myself is the only thing to exist because I can't think how someone else exists. It can be, and you obviously are taking the opposite, which is good because I was worried about you with all the voices in your head, but now I know that you can empathize with others, but others have taken it. And I think it's something they often diagnose an anti-social personality disorder and like psychopathy and sociopathy is that people 
just think I'm the only thing that do. I can't comprehend what other people are existing. So I'm all that can exist. And I don't know, maybe I, I don't know if our narrator in that, in the song here fits into either category, but again, it, I mean, it's sort of different because his whole thing is memories, this obsession with memories that he can't get these memories out of his head. But I feel like he almost can't function normally, right? These memories can't wait. He can't sleep. He's driven insane about it. Going back to the overall idea of this album that we've been commenting on, that it's much darker than anything else we've heard from Talking Heads, I think. It's much, it's more mature. It is their third album. But it, there's something dark about it. There's something essentially demonic about it to refer to good old Johannes, the Swiss doctor. <laughs> good old Johannes. <laughs> yeah, I just like the idea of a party in your head. And I just like, I visually thinking, imagine what that looked like. And do you think we could do this? Can we do like maybe <laughs> a little comedic bit and just like try to improvise what a brain party might be? Yeah, let's try it. All right. Do you want to be the host of the party or a guest? I'll be a guest. Oh, you'll be a guest. Okay, yeah. I'll be the host. Okay, so the party, you get an invitation. Uh -huh. It's Kevin's, I just turned 23. Okay. So Happy Kevin's birthday. 23rd birthday bash. You look at the location. It says in Kevin's brain. Gotcha. And that's the scene. All right. Kev, I wanted to thank you so much for inviting me to this party in your mind that I hope never stops. But just one thing I noticed, there's a lot of other Kevins in here. Yeah, man. <laughs> like there's like three or four different Kevins. One guy says he's the good Kevin. The other thing says he's the bad Kevin. There's the Kevin thinking about the Kevins. I understand. It's a little striking seeing a party full of the same being. Let me show you around. We'll, maybe we'll meet some new Kevins and, yeah, yeah. you know, we'll introduce them and it won't be as striking. But just for now, just... Eyes on me, baby. I am the Kevin that you know. We're good friends. So come on over here. Uh, we got some classic party games like Pin the Medulla on the Oblongata. Gotcha. There's Spin the Bottle. Right now, it's all versions of me playing. It's kind of weird. Noticed. You don't have to. Yeah. Well, you know, it gets a little fun up here. You know, yeah. we're drinking a little bit. It's fun. Um, yeah. And there's some food, you know, like brain chips. Uh, the government dropped those off. Did you bring any <laughs> drinks or food? What, what do you, I see you have something in your hand. What is that? Yeah, this is um, <laughs> brain juice. <laughs> Kevin, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't have anything in my hand. I'm sort of, I'm stuck in your mind right now. Yeah. So I don't really know what's going on. Yeah. I can't see what's in my hand. I'm I actually not. Say, you're a formless being right now. You're just a thought. And in order to like really ground yourself, you're going to have to take a drink of this. Take it. Got Come it. Ooh, ooh, ooh. That was oh delicious. My God. Yeah, how was it? That was, uh, that was just blending. Oh my God, is that the brain weatherman over there? I gotta go <laughs> Dude, introduce myself. Yeah, go, go talk to the brain weatherman. You know him, yeah. you know him, go. Yeah, I still have that existential crisis. Maybe we'll leave him alone. No, no, have a talk. He's, he's been over there. He's kind of freaking out about, you know, the whole multiple Kevins thing. Go, go have a chat with him. Go All right, I'll go talk to him. Hey, aren't you the weatherman from the brain news? There's a weather forecast in my mind. And I hope it never stops. There's a weather forecast up there. All, it's all right. Hey, thanks, man. Time. Okay, come over here. Come over here. Come over here. <laughs> yeah. Hey, let's sit down. Let's meet, let's meet a few of my uh, Kevin friends. Uh, this is Happy Kevin. Oh, hey, Happy Kevin. Hey, what's up? I'm Happy Kevin. I'm slightly like the Kevin friend that you have, but I'm just happier about it. I don't experience any other emotions. What are they like? <laughs> Sad sometimes, I guess. Angry. Not <laughs> happy. 
That's I'm sorry, like I was just sad, a conversation over here with eighth grade Kevin, who just had his first kiss. Fascinating guy. Is that uh, Mylon Sheaths and Ladders? We got to play that one next. Yeah, come on over. We'll, we'll get that. Maybe we'll go around. We'll meet some of the guys and we'll play Mylon Sheaths and Ladders. So, uh, <laughs> all right, this is uh, high school Kevin. Um, this is, you know, eighth grade Kevin. He's Pleasure. not drinking anything. He's, uh, he's a little young for that, but it's Good. fine. This is his first party. Um, and this is uh, Existential Dread Kevin. Uh, just be easy with him. He's a little, like, jumpy. So uh, maybe just say hi to some of the guys. Hey, guys, say hi to, hey, say hi to Devin. What's up, guys? Hey, Devin, what's going hey, on? Hey, Kevin. Hey, how's it going? Hey, uh, I'm high school Kevin, and this is pretty sick, right? I'm drinking beer. Isn't that crazy? Like, I'm with all my best buds. I'm with middle school Kevin, like this little tyke over here, man. Like, oh, dude, I'm good. Uh, how do you yeah, that's so cool, man. Uh, oh my god mom come pick me up he's talking to himself it's just kevin alone here and he's only talking to himself i don't know what to do yeah man yeah middle school kevin elementary school kevin let's play another game of spin the bottle let's go he's walking around on his knees and calling himself elementary school kevin i'm very we freaked all out. win in this game of spin the bottle hey devin come on let's play let's play spin the ball with all these kevins get over here man <laughs> all right yeah all right all right first let me spin oh i got kevin get over here kevin give me a little smooch Oh, this is fun. Um, <laughs> Mom, I think he's recently watched that Disney movie Inside Out, and now he's sort of like living it like some sick fantasy. Can you come Zoom here? Zoom out. It's just me <laughs> and you alone in a room. I know. <laughs> just Why is the around. floor mushy? <laughs> we actually are in my brain, but it's just, it's just me running around wearing different clothes, wearing clothes that are too small for me from my high school. And actually the brain weatherman that's still here. <laughs> still um, there. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I just like, sometimes that's like how my brain works. Like I really think sometimes like there'll be multiple Kevins, each with different perspectives coming in, like jumping in on a conversation. And it's so fascinating. It's really fun to have a conversation with myself. It's very odd, but it, it is something that I, I deal with on a daily basis. So um, anyway, I'm glad that you came with me inside my brain to understand just a little bit of what it's like up there. Yeah, very cool. Cramped. <laughs> very cramped. There's not much room for it. <laughs> because the, the idea of an um, inner monologue doesn't really match with me. When I think of a monologue, I think of like a Shakespearean theater monologue, like a guy standing at the end of the stage delivering to an audience. For me, it's more of a dialogue. And so that's why I like uh, Mark Scott from the University of British Columbia. He did a, uh, an article for, or a study with the Psychological uh, Science Journal, and he called it internal speech. So it was more internal speaking as opposed to just okay. an internal monologue. But yeah, so basically just going back to the song, right? I mean, it's somebody being lost in their mind, lost in their thoughts. It's a very internal song. It's dark, though. It's not like other Talking Heads songs. The whole album, too. It's dark. It's nervous. The guy's stressed out. He's obsessing over these memories. But it's interesting. It's totally, it's totally different from what we've heard in the past. Yeah, Existential Brain or Existential Dread Kevin and Sad Kevin really vibe with this album when Happy Kevin and Excited Kevin really like the first two albums much more. And it's nice to have both all those Kevins in my head because I can just appreciate all the albums. Yeah. It's very interesting this dichotomy between the 
excited energy of a party versus the nervousness of being trapped in your own thoughts because he kind of introduces those that dichotomy in in the next verse where he says take a walk through the land of shadows take a walk through the peaceful meadows don't look so disappointed it isn't what you hope for is it and i just thought like take a walk through the land of shadows sounds very biblical and then take a walk through the peaceful meadows shouldn't make me feel a little nicer but it doesn't at all like it's still this sinister industrial sound yeah i mean it's i think it's really just like the range of experiences right you can have your sad and scared kevin taking a walk through the land of shadows and you're happy and you're excited kevin taking a walk through the peaceful meadows but he's also saying like these worlds we create in our minds are never as exciting as we want them to be they're never exactly what we hope for we can't or maybe almost to take it in a different direction completely is that we create these scenarios in our heads and we think they're going to carry out that way in life, but they're never going to live up to our expectations. Because again, we don't control everything. It's not a party in our mind. We can't control all the different Kevins there. Yeah. But like you were talking about before, people have minds of their own. They have their own desires, their own intentions. So I think it's about that lack of control. What is a party but organized chaos? Just like inviting people over to your house and just hoping it'll go well. Uh But you, if you're planning a party, you hope it's just get all you really have is an idea that people are having fun. You can't really just say this person's going to talk to this person and this person's going to do this. And it's going to be very fun. You just kind of like let the entropy go and drink a beer and play some games and sing karaoke. And that's, that's what the fun of the party is, is almost the unexpected. Those are the most memorable things that become memories in the future. But another thing that keeps me up existential dread cabin really shows his, his head at night is that, Nothing in your life will ever be how you picture it to be. Never. You can really plan something out as much as you can, but it's never going to be what you picture it to be, which is why those, that second half of the lyrics of the second verse is, don't look so disappointed. It isn't what you hope for, is it? No, it's not. I mean, you can hope and hope, but you're never going to get that idealized version of what's in your head. Right. Just like kind of how you idealize the past with nostalgia. There's kind of both sides of the coin there. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh thing and then at the same time he's not even safe in his head right other people can go home other people they will split you're not always stuck with me but i'll be here all the time i can never quit everything's quiet everyone's gone to sleep and he's stuck these memories can't wake he's wide awake on the memories it's interesting again it's a dark song it's not it's i mean we've gone a lot of positives with it but at the end of the day it's it's about obsession you know it's about um, being unable to relinquish the past. It's about being taken over by your memories. It's interesting. Yeah. I just imagine when he says like, everyone's going to sleep. It's very quiet. I just imagine David Byrne in his brain, or at least, you know, normal Kevin is like stuck in an empty. <laughs> David Byrne, Kevin up. in your brain. <laughs> oh my God. I can't Kevin Byrne. image out of my brain. Just like, I just picture a, a Kevin in an empty room, whoever the Kevin who was hosted the party, just like picking up empty beer bottles and just like, <laughs> I haven't mentioned this yet, but one of the, the things in the studies that I, that I looked into was yeah. called corollary discharge. And that's the description <laughs> of what distinguishes the external from the internal in terms of stimuli. And that's okay. what like helps you have an inner monologue. And I just imagine like picking up empty beer bottles and I'm like, oh, corollary discharge. Who got this everywhere? Like, <laughs> But yeah, corollary discharge, it was like an interesting study and it was people studied people had inner monologues. And corollary discharge, again, is 
what distinguishes between the internal and the external stimuli in your voice or in your mind? And it was defined as a predictive signal. So your brain sends it out so they can predict what's happening. So the example they use is why someone can tickle you, but you can't tickle yourself because your body <laughs> right. is sending a predictive signal that's predicting the movements that you're going to do and kind of cancels it out. And that's what happens when someone in their head said a syllable like ah, and then the external, they made that same syllable externally, ah. And -hmm. when they did that at the same time, it canceled it out. And it kind of showed this difference between the mind's ability to regulate the external and internal voices in your head. Firstly, the word and the idea of corollary discharge being a predictive (laughs) signal. And then using the example of tickling yourself, I just never thought I would see that in an academic journal. And like, and that's why you can't tickle yourself. I was there like, you what, what? <laughs> well, I'm even. glad that's, yeah, to tie everything back together, right? Nostalgia, the party in your mind, trying to control everything. You go back to these nostalgic ideas, thinking that it can give you some kind of comfort, thinking that it'll satisfy whatever need you have. I mean, we got to talk about the pandemic because it's just, I mean, it's the period where it's the time we're living in. We can't escape from it. And you try to find some kind of sanctuary in them, but they never live up to those expectations. Because just like you said, with the corollary discharge and connecting with other people, you need other people. You need those other perspectives. You won't be able to control them, but you know, it's a human need. We need to socialize. We need to be in touch with other people. And for this character, for this narrator, once everyone's left, once the party's over, the party that, in my interpretation, he wasn't able to enjoy at all, right? Because maybe it wasn't going up to his expectations. But now he can't even find solace in the memories. It's like he can't even reward himself in the memories because the memories never live up to the real expect. They never live up to the real experience. No matter how much we idealize them, no matter how much we romanticize them, it's not the same as connecting with other people. Even if things don't go correct, completely right, there's something about that. The ambiguity of a situ of a party, that chaos, the craziness that gives us something more. If I'm making any sense or if I'm just prattling on, I don't know. Well, that's the point of the show is to, is to just throw it out there and see if it makes sense because that's all we have. But I, I, I hear you because a party, the idea of a party, there's like phases of it. There's the before party where you are building up in your head and you're excited mm-hmm. about all the potential that you have in this party. You might talk to that person you want to talk to. You might have some great life-changing experience with your friends and that's building up. But it'll never be that, no matter what. It could be better, it could be worse. It could be equally as enjoyable, but in a different way. You go to the party and you can either let go of those idealized versions of yourself and be present. And that seems like the solution to, to future idealization and past nostalgia is just be present mm-hmm. and to live within those two things, which is easier said than done. And then you have the great party. All the Kevins play spin the bottle. You pin the medulla on the oblongata and then you leave. And now you just have the memory of the party. You can never go back to that party and you can either be haunted by it that you didn't mm-hmm. talk to that person or you might never have a fun party in the future, something like that. But you have the, the future, present and past tenses of it all. And I like how it's all embodied in the, in the idea of a party. It just like helps me ground these existential thoughts in this song i mean it's very cool and just the end of it that's always the part that stuck with me even with the swell of the music everything about it his repetition of these memories can't wait these memories can't wait it's almost like a plea right he's being oh he doesn't want to have to remember these things he just wants to go to sleep but for whatever reason his mind the evil kevin in his mind the (laughs) weatherman obsessing over the other other port is forcing him to look 
listen to these memories. And he's just saying, they can't wait. They can't wait. He just wants to go to bed, but he can't escape it. I don't, yeah, yeah, we like to, have, like to have an idea that we can control these thoughts in our head. But really, what was the last time you like, I'm going to think of that memory. I'm going to like pluck it out of the air. They really just come out of nowhere and just almost just engulf you. And they, there's nothing you can really do but wait for them to pass or bask in that nice memory that's kind of mm-hmm. tinged with nostalgia. Literally, the memories can't wait. They're not going to wait for you. And yeah. that's why I think I like to have some idea of control in them is bringing in a few Kevins and like, hey, what do you guys all think about this memory? What do we do? And the more understanding Kevins are like, hey, you're, you're in seventh grade. No one saw you do the worm. And then cool Kevin's like, it was awesome, man. You really stood up for yourself. And then there's huh. annoying Kevin that's like, you were a fool. You made a fool of yourself. So I get all these different perspectives all from my own head, which makes sense because a Harvard psychologist uses that as an idea for having inner monologues is that it's quote a simulated outside perspective on one's own actions or thoughts and you're able to grapple with it like you're talking to a friend that you won't always have the option to it's almost like all my kevins are best friends they understand me so completely because Mm -hmm. i don't want to explain anything to them they've had the same experiences they just have different perspectives on it which is why I love this podcast, because you help me understand things that I have in my head that even the other Kevins can't explain. And you help me ground myself and get out of my own head. So thank you. Well, I was actually waiting to tell you this to at least episode 25, but I'm actually one of the Kevins in your head. This whole podcast is just a <laughs> podcast in your head. I'm Devin, which if you think about it, it's just Kevin with a D. It's not even that creative. My brain it's time to wake up. Totally <laughs> no, It's time to wake up. Kevin. Your alarm. Don't do that to me, man. I, I worry about that stuff already. <laughs> yeah, because it goes back to like, all you have is yourself at the end of the day. I don't know if that's sad, but you're the only person that's really going to understand you completely. And even you won't get that. So it can be very isolating. I, I've been thinking about this a lot in, in quarantine is that at the end of the day, you're surrounded by maybe your close family and they can help you being around your family is very good but you're really it's very an isolating experience and i had two paths i can either like feel isolated or populate my brain with many kevins and feel like i'm accompanied and understood but that can only go so far you really need what you said before tangible outside perspectives in your life good friends caring family members caring mentors that really give another actual perspective on things an example being me getting totally encapsulated in this song and you offering a totally different idea on taking it as a nostalgia as opposed to, I don't know, a grasping sensation of mental stimulation and swirling. I mean, it's interesting too. We don't necessarily have to come to a conclusion. The song doesn't, right? The song doesn't wrap up on a nice bow. It ends with him. These memories can't wait. These memories can't wait. He doesn't resolve it. And it's almost like the song ends, we go to sleep, we're done with the song, but he's still wide awake thinking about the memories going back and forth because at the end of the day, we're not going to find a nice conclusion to things, especially when it's stuff in our own mind, especially when it's memories. A big move in modern philosophy with people like Foucault and um, Satra is that we put narratives to history, we put narratives to our past because that makes them conceivable, that gives us something to ground ourselves in. But there is no overall narrative. We're not working towards anything. There's no 
end. We live in a, if we're going existentialism again, right? We live in an absurd universe. There's not necessarily some kind of predetermined meaning to our lives, and we want to put that on there. And this song, in the end, doesn't have a resolution. And in many ways, that's what life is like. We may place a resolution, but there is none to have. Yeah, I really like that's fantastic because I love I love the the live version of this song because firstly you hear the maniacal growl in David Byrne's voice like he really feels like he's going insane when you mm-hmm. hear him um, and there's just some like really great vocal moments in that but where most songs will like end on that nice note like and everyone goes claps yeah yeah and like you restart they go right into Psycho Killer on that version. Like, right into Psycho Killer, there's no resolution. And the only way to get out of it is to get into another maniacal song of Psycho right. Killer. I just love that because they don't go into another recording of Psycho Killer. They just play, like, the first, you know, five seconds of it, that classic bass line, and then they fade out. There's no way of resolving the song because the concepts in the song are not solvable. Yeah. And I just like how the music theory, like, goes along with that and the performance aspect goes along with that, too. Just like most of these songs that we, we were talking about that the, the Talking Heads do, like they just kind of dissolve into madness at the end. They uh-huh. play the chords and like it just gets swells into a huge pot of funk and then it ends or fades out. A lot of these songs fade out, like Life During Wartime. There's no resolution yeah. to that either. Just like how those conflicts that they're talking about don't resolve. Oh, what a great song. What a That's great good. album. What a great album. What a great song. Cool, man. Cool. We really went all over the place here. But I think that's like, that's the point of this podcast and these conversations is that yeah. we just have a nice bundle of thoughts and we're able to just unravel them as much as we can. And sometimes the conclusion isn't concludable and we just kind of have more questions than answers. But again, just a higher appreciation for the song. Always come out of this with a greater appreciation from the song. Yes, maybe I'm left unsatisfied on the conclusion, but that speaks to how interesting and complex these songs are that they can bring you off on so many different ways um and also speaks to the fear of music right that the album's called you're afraid because what is the music going to do to you where is it going to take you it's a very cool song very conversation very good conversation and i think i'm going to stay hungry for more another talking head song nice nice Yeah, I mean, I'll have a Devin in my mind, too. It'll, it'll change things up. And uh, I, I am having a party in my mind this Friday, so I'd love for you to come. Um, it's going to be a packed house. This has been another episode of Devin and Kevin Stop Making Sense. Devin, thank you, as always. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Pleasure, Kevin. Until yeah. next time. Yeah, until next time. See you guys later. Stop